there are three common forms of hair loss in women. No matter what type you have, they aren't something you should have to suffer with. Hair Active from Primrose Leaf helps slow down hair loss and provides your hair and your scalp with proper nutrition. Join the thousands of people who are back to combing and brushing their hair again. Hair Active strengthens hair, improves texture, and increases fullness. Call Primrose Leaf today, 844-376-0007. That's 844-376-0007. Or visit us at primroseleaf.com. Alex Allred is a former professional athlete who made sports history when she won the first ever U.S. Women's Bobsled Championship when she was more than four months pregnant. A former fighter and fourth degree black belt, Allred has been teaching martial arts, self-defense, and mainstream fitness classes for over 25 years. And she is the author of the award-winning book, At a Girl, A Celebration of Women in Sport. Today, we discuss her new book, when Women Stood, the untold history of females who changed sports and the world. And this book isn't just about female sports. It's also about medical science, ignoring the needs of women in general. And what you will hear today will be a bit of a shock. And yes, there is a biological difference between men and women. So let's welcome former professional athlete, professor and author, Alex Allred to the show. Welcome. Thank you. That was a great entry. So yeah, thank you. You're very, very welcome. You know, I, I read your book uh, and wow, what an eye opener. Uh, shocking information that women yeah. today really need to know. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, and thank you. You just said it. You know, for years I've been teaching my college age students and so often women's history is not in the mainstream history and um, kinesiology books, for example, and, I, and I'm working with tomorrow's trainers and coaches, occupational therapists, and there's usually like one, two, at most two, three pages in a 300 page book given to women. And after really about a decade ago, I said, this is ridiculous. And so I had been thinking about it. And like so many people, just before the pandemic hit, I said, I'm going to do this. And then suddenly I was teaching only online. And I said, well, I've got all this time. I think I'll, and yeah. So it was about three years of, of research on top of what I've lived as an athlete. You know, you mentioned um, when I tried out for the women's, when I was going for the national championship and I was pregnant, there was almost nothing out there for an elite athlete to know about pregnancy and what was safe, what was not. And so I actually got involved with a um, study that that ensured the safety of my own child. And that's why I did it. And they were thrilled to have me because they'd never had anyone who was lit. I was squatting about uh, 375 um, in squats and clocked at just under 20 miles an hour for sprints. And they'd never had anybody like that before. And so I was, I got great treatment because I was their guinea pig. <laughs> um, yeah, and so on the one hand, yay, I, I had that opportunity. But I always think back, even in 1994, we really should have had so much more information. Um, and then, of course, we don't have enough information even now for some of the tougher topics. Well, yeah, and, and I want to kind of just step back a little bit because I want all of the viewers to know you were actually the one that was very instrumental in bringing bringing women's bobsled really back to sport because it was a male dominated sport 
there wasn't at that time a women's division and you kind of put that in motion. Can you kind of give us the short version of that? Well, and certainly the, um, a handful of women in the United States. Yes, there, there was already a movement in other countries, but we weren't connected to each other. So in 1940, uh, Catherine Dewey, the granddaughter of, of Melville Dewey of the Dewey Decimal System, she won an open championship, a grand championship um, bobsled with men and women. And it took about two days for the AAU and the men in the competition to decide this, they didn't like this. And so they stripped her of her medals and banned women from sport. And so I, it was 1993 and I was sitting on the couch watching ESPN because I love sports. And I was holding my six month old, my first child. And I was watching that bobsledding and I thought, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I couldn't wait for the women. And of course they didn't come. There's no such thing as uh, the internet for me at that point. And so I, I, I tell my students all the time. And so I went to the library and they're like, you did what? <laughs> but I went to the library and I found that women were banned. And that was when I started my aggressive, if not obnoxious letter writing campaign to the International Olympic Committee, the United States Olympic Committee, anyone I could think of. And I got that phone call that they basically said, we're gonna have the first ever, are you coming big mouth? And after all that, you know, I kind of had to say, yeah, I'll be there. And then I hung up the phone and thought, okay, I know nothing about the sport of bobsledding. But the one thing, and I write about this in my book for all the athletes whom I've interviewed or I, I, I got their history, you know, telling women they can't do something when they know they can on the basis of being female, that's only going to inspire us to do it. And that is what happened. And so week after week, I kept making each cut. And then of course I found out I was pregnant. And even then I, I you know, I, I joined the study and I made sure that I was still gonna be there. I did not believe I would win, but I knew that I needed to, to stay in just to make this happen. When, as I got the medal hung over my neck, um, the then director of the program leaned in and said, you know, this doesn't mean anything, right? And I, and that was with Sports Illustrated, they're doing a story on us. And that was when I looked at the other women and I said, we're going to see this through. And so I, they, they would do things like say, well, we can't give you a coach and we can't give you equipment and we can't train you because you're not really real because there's no bylaws. Okay. So Liz Parsmedstat, one of my teammates and I, we, we co-authored the bylaws for the first ever U.S. Women's Bobsled Program. And then from there, we started just connecting with other countries. And I stayed in until 1998 when they announced that women would be in the Olympic Games. And then I said, I'm out. Wow. You know, and I can't, you know, the thought process to me, first of all, there's jealousy, there's envy. Yeah. But if they would have looked at it correctly and this and don't take what I'm about to say wrong if they would have looked at it correctly in the fact that it was a, it would have been a perfect marketing move. Then Absolutely. the money would have been there. The equipment would have been there. It would have shined a much brighter light on, you know, female participation in bobsled, you know, bobsled and also the ski jump in the Olympics are my favorite ones to watch. You know, I like yeah. the distance. I love the speed. I love it's dangerous. 
And yeah. it and it's amazing. And and I watch them both. I watch the men's and I watch the women's. I don't care who is going down that uh, down that track. I want to see who's the best, regardless if it's male or female. And they you miss the, the perfect crashes. opportunity. Yeah, go ahead. I said you want to see the crashes. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> oh, okay. I know how dangerous that is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I want to see. I, I like the finesse. I like to see, oh, it's yes. kind of like if they barely skim the wall, you're like, oh, they just lost a tenth. That's how I look at it. Yes. You know, and so it's very exciting to me. But to have, you know, sports um, foundations and uh, the Olympic committees and things of that sort to really treat females differently, my gosh, I mean, it's, what are they? Are they still cavemen? Because some of that thought processes are still happening today. Yes. And I'm so happy you said that because I will tell you, so bobsledding is the second favorite winter sport or Olympic sport after ice skating. And, um, but it's the most expensive. It's incredibly expensive. And so when the women's program came in, you're right about the marketing because we got a sponsor almost immediately. And in 1994 to get a sponsor for, I'm sorry, 1995 to get a sponsor and giving a quarter of a million dollars. And we got it, not the men, the women and from, from a company. And right off the bat, we shared. We shared some of our finances to help and enable the men's struggling program. Oh, the irony, right? And we, the United States had, to, had a 50-year dry spell on winning the gold medal in bobsled. And when women were first allowed in in 2002 at the Salt Lake Games, Jill Bakken, an American slider, she took home the first gold for the United States. So yeah, you know, when you, they, they had no idea how much they'd been missing out on by holding us back. And it was hard. It was hard to, you know, I tell people all the time when we were in, uh, we were at the World Cup in Calgary and the Jamaican and Trinidadian bobsled teams helped us because we didn't have a coach. And when, and at competition in St. Moritz, Switzerland, Prince Albert's bodyguards helped the American women. Yeah, we were really flying solo for uh, many years. Well, you know, somebody's got to be the pioneer and someone always has to be first to get this ball rolling. So congratulations and kudos to you and everyone that you had worked with. Now, I want to kind of move in uh, into a deeper part of your book. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I stated uh, at the beginning, this isn't just about female sports. There's a lot of science in this book, but a lot of science being ignored. One of the yeah. one of the shocking parts of your book, Alex, was that medical research and science uses a 154-pound male model to do female research. Seriously, why is that? Yeah, so and I'm so happy you brought that up. It's it's astonishing that some of our top medical universities are still using that model. And the reason, um, you know, here's the best way to kind of bring it all full circle. So uh, Dr. Stacy Sims is, was a phenomenal Ironman, Iron Woman athlete, and she competed, but she, and she knew she was gonna do really well. The end of the story is she tanks, she can't understand why she tanks. And it's only other female athletes who say to her, well, were you about to start your, your period before you competed? And she said, yeah, but like most female athletes, she thought, okay, that's a good thing. Like I won't I don't have to worry about it. Cause it'll, and um, they said, nope, that's one of the worst times for you 
physically to, to compete. And so when she got back to New Zealand and it's, this is a university, it's the top in the world in terms of um, exercise science research. She asked, she goes, why don't we know this kind of stuff? Why? And he says, well, women are a bit of an anomaly. You know, you, you guys have your hormones and all these different things happening and you're really too timely and too expensive to use. And that answer, though shocking to many of us, isn't because that's been the reason for holding women back in clinical trials. Pharmaceutical companies that, you know, women are, you know, we're, we're too problematic because of our hormones. And well, so for yeah. that reason, we've been held back, but women wake up in surgeries because we react differently to anesthesia than men. That's Sleeping right. aids. I mean, there's so many medications where women have had horrible, if not fatal experiences. And, um, you know, because we didn't, we really didn't study on, on them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of keeping an eye and then I've been keeping an eye on this for the last few years, because it does come up, uh, in the media, there was a particular, uh, runner, uh, track, track star, um, Afri uh, African descent. I can't remember if they were African American or what, you know, country they were from. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, she kept beating everybody like everybody else was standing still. Then when they did the hormone testing, her testosterone levels in comparison to a normal range of a female were elevated. They did check. They had to check to find out was her testosterone added or was that her natural hormonal state and after all of the testing they determined that it was her n normal natural state but in a way she didn't last too much longer after that because it, be it became bad press it became press that had a racial overtone or an unfair overtone and i'm like and i'm thinking but that happens a lot and a lot of people don't notice that in other female sports you know you see dominance and you're thinking okay are they that are yes they're talented you know without a shadow of a doubt but when it comes to female sports where there is strength involved speed and power involved that becomes a very thin line and how 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 does one navigate that as to what is fair yeah I, I really appreciate how you laid that out because, and she in particular has been put into, you know, the, a third gender category. And so, and there's so much work research needs to be done just in that field. But I, to move into today, right now, I think the bigger topic has been, um, transgender females in sport and that's, it's tough. So here's what I tell my college students. Um, and in fact, I've had uh, transgender female and male athletes in my, um, my classes. On a personal level, I, in no way, I, I am not in the business of telling somebody how to live their life, you know, to each his own. And my rule has always been, I don't care what you do as long as you don't harm others. That's always been my rule is if you don't harm somebody else, why would any of us care what you're doing if it makes you happy or if this is who you're, you believe your true self to be, right? But in this case, um, 
cisgender biological female cisgender females are being hurt um i mean and not there's been a few cases not a lot but actually physically hurt but moreover our space and and women and for my book i literally went back to ancient greece and all the way through modern times to really highlight what happened where we are today and how hard we fought to have the space of women's sports because there was absolutely a time when we weren't allowed to do well in 1993 i wasn't allowed to bobsled but but you know so there's a long fought hard fought history to to have our space and what I tell my students is right now, only 6% of all exercise science is dedicated to the female athlete, 6%. That alone should make anybody stand back and go, you know, if we've only done 6% of research on this human body, and the reason for it is following literally centuries of, of medical neglect, maybe we should dial this back a little bit do more research on this body before we add other bodies into this space now i agree because of this alex and and i've i've done research in the areas of the fact that in medical science and you already know this and ladies and gentlemen this is the truth women are not treated equally in medical research as you said, 154 pound male body is like the typical research study for both male and female. That's wrong. You and I both know that. We're both hormonally different in a very major way. The other thing is, and I'm going to use this as a quick example. In cancer research, the probably over 95% of the research studies are done on white male, white female, and those studies do not actually show what will happen if you did the same research study on African Americans. It's kind of like if you if you were if you're doing research medical research on breast cancer, and the and the test subjects majority of the time are always white women or light skin. They that research does not translate in a positive way to most African-American women because their hormonal makeup, their genetics are actually much different than Caucasian. And there needs to be separate research studies done so that way cancer research actually moves forward and stops working in an area that's basically probably 50 years too old. And who loses? You have one area of the population that's going to lose because the research actually doesn't is does not favor them in research to find out the truth. What treatment will work? You know, and the list goes on. Yeah, I I don't know about the genetics part, but I know that historically, um, yeah, if this is um, non-whites have most frequently been excluded from all studies and right now the united we lead the united states leads all western nations for most deaths during childbirth so yeah we we're and that's shocking that always surprises my students but the majority of those deaths are black women are dying in childbirth far more than white women why you know so there's 
for me, there's so much work to be done for women, all women in, in exercise science and medical science and research and clinical trials and everything that, yeah, I, I become very, um, I'm very territorial of, of this space because I just, I need to know that my daughters, that it, your daughters, all of are going to, are going to start getting equal treatment in areas that can and will save our lives. Yeah. And then, and you, you know, yeah. Yeah. And you have, you have a chapter in your book that is extremely shocking. Can you tell us a bit about the story? of Mary Kane and Nike. That really says, that really gets down to the nitty gritty as to why we need more female medical research in the areas of sports. And the Mary Kane story, so happy that you brought that up. The Mary Kane story is the one that I usually lead when I'm talking to my college students because it's, it's short, but it's so powerful. And then I, I, of course, I lead them to the book, but this pretty much says it all. Mary Kane dubbed the fastest girl in America. And she was just a real hot shot, breaking records, long distance runner, phenomenal athlete. She is Olympic bound. Nike swoops her up for the Nike project. That's any athlete's dream. She goes and she's, you know, she's on her way. Her dream is going to come true. And she has a st- all you know this all male coach uh, team, and they don't know what to do about her hormones or her menstrual cycle, uh, and they arbitrarily decide that they're going to assign her a weight that would be her best running weight, and they don't know anything about the hips, and they don't know that female athletes actually require more protein than anybody ever imagined, and they starved her um, from the carbohydrates, proper nutrition, pro- uh, uh, proteins. She started getting stress fractures. She started, they literally and figuratively nearly killed her. She dropped out, you know, she, and, and of course there was a huge scandal with Nike, but they ruined her as an athlete. They, they, they destroyed her dreams and her career. And, all, and as they say, literally and figuratively almost killed her before she, as she calls it, escaped. And, and you know, up. one of the things that I was really shocked about in that story was when the coach, he literally, and ladies and gentlemen, this isn't even science. I mean, it's absurd. He looks at her, like you had stated, and goes, mm-hmm. hmm, your weight's going to be 114 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had, he had no research, nothing clinical to go by from her height to her build to her bone structure. Nothing. He just goes 114 pounds. And so what is she doing? She's basically starving herself and doing whatever she can to get down to 114 pounds, thinking that you're going to be faster. Lighter only equals faster in auto racing, not in track and field. Okay. Cause you got to have muscle tone, muscle strength. That's where your power is coming from. Of course, you know, I know runners who train every day and it's, and running isn't just about running fast. It's form. You know, this it's form. It's there's so many things involved. It's there's an art and there's a science to it, but to ruin a person, a female like this on guessing is absolutely, I mean, it's unforgivable. Yeah. 
it's, it is. And that's, that is another reason why I realized I finally had to write this book is because this, the history of women throughout times on the guesswork on her size or what she should look like or what she should wear have, you know, have, have killed us over time. And it's just, it's, you know, I, I, one of my favorite stories to tell is so abhorrent was the idea of women getting on bicycles that physicians literally took to the newspapers in the late 1800s and told people all these horrible things that would happen to the female body if she pedaled around on her bike, including wait for it, bicycle face. And they, they warned that you, she could get bicycle face <laughs> if she rode around and exerted herself too much. So, you know, it's a joke now with female athletes because I'll look at my training partner sometimes and go, do I have bicycle face, you know, while I'm lifting? But, cool. you know, it's just, it's always been this way, including guessing, guessing what her weight should be. I love it when men will say, you know, yeah, she's, she's perfect. She's five foot 10 and 105 pounds. And I'm, is she dead? Uh, you know, how, how would a 5'10", 105 pounds? And so it's so unhealthy because then girls who I hope will read this book, girls who don't know any better go, oh, I guess I, I'm 120. I must be fat. I, I, I need to, you know, and welcome bulimia well, and anorexia. And you, and you brought something else up in your book and it never even dawned on me. And... And this is where marketing ruins the health of a person. Yeah. Ruins the health of the female athlete. Let's, let's just be clear. You mentioned in your book of the fact of all of these form fitting, uh, athletic outfits. Yeah. They make, a, make, make them look sleek. You know, I, I know, I'm an amateur cyclist. I follow both female and male pro cycling and you know, everything's about aerodynamics, right? You know, and, and power and strength. Um, not even going to get into the nutrition side that, that, that is, that gets into a very dangerous territory in that sport, but overall it's pretty much equal, except that the UCI is wavering on the female pro cyclist a bit when it comes to the whole trans thing. And, right. uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but I was shocked to hear that you have to tell a, a female athlete, get down to this weight because you're going to be wearing a form fitting outfit because part, because we know there's going to be a logo on that outfit that's going to be used in marketing and it's all about the look, but not about the health, which I found odd because nobody crossed the line with Serena Williams. Well, a few people went after her for her weight, but you're right on, on, on the whole. Um, but that, all right. I love this topic and, and I love talking about Serena as well because, um, yeah, the tennis world was not thrilled to have the Williams sisters. And so they always, there, there's always been a struggle and she always had sponsorship problems, but in particular to Serena, you know, she was she's too black. She's too loud. She's too big. She's too muscular. She's too aggressive. You know, all these things that make a phenomenal athlete. And if, and if she were male, this wouldn't even be a conversation. Um, but she really came under attack after she had her, um, child, 
after she had her daughter and she would wear those cat suits and everybody was having a real, there was some really hateful um, stuff out there by, by commentators. And what people didn't realize is that she nearly died during childbirth. And when she came back and started playing tennis again, that for her, that was a victory all, you know, all in itself that she was back and playing. And it was a compression suit that she was wearing that was really helpful. And to put things in perspective, after I had my first child and I was just going through the, the trials at the U.S. Bobsled Federation, um, I wore a kidney belt because when you, and the, what people don't know is when you're watching bobsledding and you, as you mentioned, and you see the sled go up and ting the wall a little bit and the commentator will say, oh, and he just ting the wall. Inside that metal capsule going 90 miles an hour on hard ice, you feel every organ inside your body move and shift. And I, my daughter at that time was uh, nine months old and I was still having things move around. When we hit that first wall, I actually had bruised organs because I wasn't compact yet. And so I had to wear a kidney belt, so perspective. But so here's um, you know Serena Williams and she was wearing the compression suit, but it showed so much of her overweight body that no one wanted to see that she was under attack for that. So yeah, the, the, the image of the female athlete has always been very different from the male because we want to appreciate the male's athleticism, but we just want to appreciate the beauty of the female athlete. And so, yes. yeah, yeah. And that's and, it. But, you know, on the other side of things where they, they create these, um, I guess we'll just call them uniforms anywhere from, yeah. uh, track female track and field, uh, to not necessarily tennis. I mean, Serena kind of broke that mold on that deal and ticked off a lot of the tournaments and made her change yeah. her clothes. Uh, gymnast, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, why? You know, I, I this is almost a dumb question. We know why. Why, you know, why can't they just focus on the female body, the female health? when it comes to the research in female sports and medicine, instead of trying to sexualize every single thing a woman does. She's not an object. She's a freaking human being. And this is 2023. Can people just freaking wake up and go, that's a human with emotions yeah. and a heart and a brain. Stop treating them like they just came off of a UFO. Um, the answer is no. They can't. <laughs> no, but this is what I'm talking to my might talk to my students about. So I love that you asked this question. Um, yeah, you know, because fun fact, most people don't know this, but um, financially speaking, female athletes bring in more money for the International Olympic Committee every Olympics than men. So and where does that come from? Sponsors. And so, and this, what do the sponsors want? They want someone who during the games and after would be great on the cover of you name it, whatever their brand is. And so, yeah, they're, and at societally speaking, we don't care if a man is that handsome as much as we do really want to make sure that the female is attractive. And so that's just, it's one of those things. 
the body, the, what we're used to seeing is really important. So to your question, no one really cares that the sand in beach volleyball can get up to 120 degrees. That's how hot the sand can be on a court in the middle of the, of a tournament. And the men wear um, shorts that go down to their knees and tank tops. But when the, the 2020 games, when the Norwegian beach volleyball team opted out and they were going to wear more of a, a, more of a tank top still showed quite a bit, but then also athletic shorts that went down the thigh a little bit, they were immediately fined. And in the IOC fined them for, from breaking, from not even covering up as much as the men still, but it came down to finances. And, you know, it, it shocked me when, when the new volleyball outfits came out for women, I was like, and, and I'm not a prude by any means, but I was, I was looking at it thinking they're going to allow that, that they're going to allow these very skimpy outfits and then to turn around and have a team have a more modest outfit right. and probably more um, improving athletic ability and probably protecting the body more. And then they get fined. It's a sexist right. thing. Well, so historically, when women were not allowed in sport, um, they always had to be covered pretty much head to toe. And in the early in 1901, one of the, the first female figure skater, she her ankle was not allowed to show. And, you know, so she was literally covered. And then you and, and it was for her protection, they would say. And the irony there was, no, it wasn't because she was tripping. These women were really hurting themselves falling over heavy skirts, trying to do a jump. And then they've got these heavy skirts. Women were always drowning in the ocean because of the, 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 once it got wet, what they had to wear could weigh up to 50 pounds while swimming. And then we flipped that to modern time. And now we're still protecting women, but they have, but they're wearing bikinis that are barely a bikini. So it really just, it's always kind of come down to the aesthetic the aesthetic appeal of what the female was supposed to look like. Yeah, and you also brought something up in your book about, okay, and, and let's kind of start off with the, the whole Mary Kane thing. That was what I would call athletic abuse from a coaching staff that knew nothing about the female body. Mm -hmm. But you also have in your book that they're, and and I'm sure it's still ha and I know it's still happening today and it shouldn't be, but the level of abuse on female athletes is a topic that nobody wants to talk about. They they want to they want to slide it under the rug and pretend it doesn't happen until you end up with a situation like the U.S. G gymnastics team and Larry Nasser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I obviously I put that in the book because that is the it's such an extreme, but not I don't not even an extreme of the level of of unspeakable. I mean, over five hundred victims. I mean, that's but also the level of extreme to how much people, m multiple people, were willing to just look away because there was so much money and sponsorship on the line. And at the, you know, at the, at the end of the day, these, these young girls, the vi youngest victim known to be eight years old, all the way into their twenties, they, they just didn't matter. 
And, and so I, I use that because that's just, that's so horrific. I, you know, it's just unspeakable. I, but it happens every day. It's always happening. Um, and I toss in, when I talk about this, I say not, not only the sexual abuse, not only the abuse of the media images, but dangerous things creep in when we, when we see and ignore what we know to be wrong. A perfect example, and I would challenge your listeners, you know, the next time get curious and you'll see, you see these headlines in men's magazines, that will say the 20 hottest female athletes. And the last couple of times I Googled that, there were at least four out of the 20 that were under the age of 17. Yeah, that would be considered uh, I, illegal porn. We, yeah, but 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 those who voted, probably if you sat down and said to them, do you realize that you're talking about them? They, they might even go, oh, but they didn't realize. But we just see these images of our athletes and then we, you know, we vote on them, you know, who's, that's yeah. so important. And see, Alex, you brought up another element and parents, I want you to listen to this extremely close because if you have a daughter that is living at home with you and she's a gamer, you're going oh, to need boy. to listen to this extremely mm -hmm. close. Alex, you put in your book that people need to be aware of the abuse of girls online, female gamers, and a lot of them hide their identity, and I'm going to let you finish the rest. They hide their identity because they have to. Um, and, and I actually got to interview quite a few who, have, who said they will find you. If you have your name out there, they will find you. They've had, and I don't mean, I don't mean six or ten, I mean hundreds of emails will come in threatening to rape and kill rape your daughter, burn down your house, kill your family. And you, and when you peel all that back and you say, why, what brought on this violence? Because when these guys would find out that they were gaming with a female and she was as good and worse, better and winning, these brought about not just death threats, but violent, violent death threats. And I'll tell you that when I was going through the editing process for this book, um, one of my editors actually questioned having gaming in and I fought to have that. There was so much more information that we had to, we really just had to pare down the book because I just had so much research in there. But yeah, 600 pages, I had over 600 pages, but, but I fought to keep that little bit in that you read because it, gaming is so popular. And, and, and thank you for saying that to the parents. Yeah. You need to realize that just, just because your daughter's in her bedroom, she's not safe. If, if she's accessible to people I mean, reaching her on social media, it's, well, you it's, know, we see, we see law enforcement across the country, you know, trying to catch child predators and, sex traffickers and so they fake because you know they're undercover yeah. faking being a female faking being a child they need to start having a task force to go inside these gaming situations because if you're making a threat that's you can be arrested for that yeah i don't care if it was a 10 year old making a threat thinking that he's all high and mighty and in a big shot hiding behind an avatar, you know, parents, 
even if you have your daughter who loves playing video games and is online with other people, she needs to hide her identity and make her look like a boy. Parents, if you have a son who is heavily in the gaming, you better find out if they are promoting violence online and against females because it's going to be your time to jerk a knot in their tail. Yeah. Plain and simple. You're the parent, yeah. so be a parent. This stuff cannot go on because you're allowing your child to have this mentality and you don't want that mentality when they become an adult. Yeah. Plain and simple. So I won't get off my soapbox here, Alex, but you got a term in your book called bikini medicine. What is that? Bikini medicine is the, and it goes back to using the 154 pound male model or role medical model. Um, bikini medicine is really the idea that um, women are the same as men, except for just in the areas where a bikini would cover their body. And so many people believe that, and that's that's where all these other issues come in. Is what we're not addressing hormones. Hormones is a really big deal. I mean, and we're not addressing. We need more studies in menopause, in pregnancy, postpartum depression. We, you know, there's so many things and factors in these hormones that the bikini medicine idea is just, it's woefully outdated and dangerous. Well, what is the female triad? And the female triad, and this really came about because of Mary Kane. I, she's one of the women that I, I did not get to connect with for this book. And if I, if I ever got to meet her, I would thank her for actually really bringing about the, the female triad. The female triad was actually written about in 1993, but Mary Kane brought it to life for us. And basically it's understanding the it's, it's lack of nutrition and it's overtraining. It's all, it's the, it's the issues that happen with um, females in training when they're not when they're not properly hydrated they're not properly exercised they're not prop they don't have proper medical treatment or nutrition and and you know and the body breaks down yeah i was really surprised that uh you know even with the ones uh segment of the book where women female athletes uh require 50 percent more protein than men i was really surprised by that and it, the consumption level is different, actually. I mean, you know, like how much we eat um, may vary, but yeah. So the required proteins are just so important. And believe it or not, that changes through her cycle. And so one of the more interesting studies that I, I um, looked at, for example, is Muslim women during Ramadan and how to, because if they're fasting, but then they have their cycle. How does that affect them? And it's a great study. And it really gave us an idea of how important nutrition actually is for women who are fasting for a prolonged period of time. So I, yeah, I, I, I have entire lecture series on just nutrition for this conversation because nutrition for everyone is vital. Obviously we know that's, we have serious health issues in this country, but the health issues that women, nutrition issues that women need over 30% of um, the population is of females are anemic and don't even know it. And yeah, yeah you know, in third, third world countries and even here, women will eat dirt, dirt literally eat spoonfuls of dirt 
and not understand why they're craving it, it but because there's there is iron to be had in certain nutrients and so and i know a woman here in the united states she's an engineer and she told me one day she goes i don't know what it is i'll just look at our potted plant and think yummy <laughs> well she, see <laughs> I, you know it's funny because a lot of people don't know this so let you know in the cattle industry for those that are raising calves for veal if you ever read about it ladies and gentlemen it'll make you sick to your stomach yeah. so when they're raising these young calves for veal the pins cannot have any metal they cannot have any spikes or nails because the calf will be craving iron so much that they caught them licking the nails in the pin just to get some form of iron into their body so they had to remove that as well so the human body knows what it needs now our right. brains may not know but the body knows that it's lacking something and yes ladies and gentlemen people will eat dirt because yeah. the body knows it needs something and yeah. you know what what kind of advice do you have alex for parents that have uh, daughters that are female athletes and even those that are at college age and maybe those that are in their 30s and 40s still competing what kind of advice do you have for the female when it comes to focusing on nutrition and making sure that they stay healthy especially for parents with teenage athletes fantastic question and so one of the first things that i do talk to my students about is um how well do you know your coach and i don't mean do you personally like them that's great if you like them but what's their background you know what are their certifications are they up on their certifications do they understand sports nutrition not just nutrition but there's a difference about nutrition and an elite athlete do they understand the female triad do they know sports nutrition and so these are fair questions for a parent to ask maybe one time just get a conversation and go hey i'm not i'm not trying to put you in the spot you don't have to answer but i just wanted you to know that um you know i I want to know that you know about the female triad that you you understand sports nutrition and i'd love it maybe one time if you could get the team together and if you're not comfortable maybe bring in a couple speakers for us to listen to about about these topics about your cycle about why it's important to let um somebody know and if it's a male coach he brings somebody else in who can say look girls if you're missing your cycle if something's happening, if it's not right, come talk to me. Let's 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 talk about this, because particularly with girls who are um, pre, you know, preteen to late teens, a lot of times they don't understand that their cycle isn't right. That there's something that there's something's going on. They don't they don't know that they're having issues yet because nothing's really come, nothing's come to head yet. And so my advice there always is just you know, ask to bring in speakers to address some of these issues so that the girls can either just nod their head or they can make note and go, okay, I need to ask somebody about this. And almost always they do. The female yeah. athlete wants to be as good as she can be. Well, yeah, and it all goes down to asking questions. And especially today, I was doing some side research for uh, another topic and segment. And I and I learned, and, and this this is, this is why there needs to be more medical research on females when it comes to sports and females in general. You know, we have an epidemic of hypothyroidism in this country. Mm -hmm. We are also have 
a silent epidemic of polycystic ovarian syndrome in this yes. country, which also addresses the androgens in the female body. Now we do know by now that PCOS is really caused by uh, insulin resistance, which is the major part, but there's a hormonal component yes. to this condition. And many doctors are misdiagnosing so many females saying, oh, uh, you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you don't have PCOS. Then you have somebody else going, oh, you have PCOS, but you don't have Hashimoto's. Then you have the other doctor going, ah, you have both. And it's total confusion. Right. Uh, you know, I just had a conversation. It's so funny you say this because I was just talking to an athlete who got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And so I said, okay, well, have you researched it? Because, you know, that's one of the first things I'll ask him is that we have too many people who accept the diagnosis and just go with it. You know, so one of the first things I always tell my students and clients is I'll say, due diligence. Why don't you read it? Why don't you do a little bit of research? Because then you can go, yeah, that's, oh, no, wait, that's, and then you can kind of start to get a better idea of what the symptoms are. That's number one. But then also, again, who is your doctor? And how much does this doctor really know? And we're just so conditioned to not ask questions. You know, earlier in this segment, we were talking about not asking questions about how we portray and see women, but also we need to be asking more questions, male or female, of who who are our doctors and how much, what do they really know? And how much time are they giving me? And also the more you research, you can actually, and this has happened many times where you'll you'll throw something out to your doctor and you can see him stop for a second and then go oh and then that that actually might trigger yet something else also in the book different but um one of the other things that i talk to my my athletes about is does your coach know that men and women have very different reactions um, or symptoms to concussions and so the sports concussion is very different. It plays very differently for males and females. I got to interview Brianna Scurry from the U.S. women's soccer team, the goalie, the U.S. goalie. And um, she was misdiagnosed for years and years, became suicidal until she finally found a doctor who absolutely knew that what her issue was. And so, so women will, we have, women have a thinner, our skull is thinner. And so fibers can break off a little bit faster, more easily than a male, a concussed male. But our symptoms aren't the same as a concussed male. And so after, when we start having um, dizzy spells or our, our vision changes a little bit, our headaches aren't quite the same. A lot of times it's written off as something else. And it's not that we have a concussion. And so we, we have so many different symptoms on, on so many things, including the concussion. So, you, uh, you know, parents would also want to know that if they're in a sport like soccer, where concussions are high or cheerleading, you want to know that your coach understands the symptoms of the female concussed athlete, as opposed to the male concussed athlete. That is excellent advice, Alex. And, you know, I never even realized that there was a difference on the concussion side, you yeah. know, and I've talked to experts when it came to sports 
for male, for, for male sports when it comes to concussions and, um, you know, they can, they can, you know, in football, you know, and it was, I had one researcher tell me that you think football's bad. You should look at soccer. Yeah. Concussions start at the youngest age possible when they start playing soccer. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable sport. The beginning of every semester, I ask my male and female student, student athletes, what sport has the most on, on field or on court or on track um, death rates. And it's soccer. Soccer has so- more than any other sport. And it's just because it is a nonstop running, but also very aggressive game. Michelle, soccer, yeah, the soccer legend, Michelle Akers, she was so severely concussed, but she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Yeah. You know, and then, and she went by that, the, you know, well, just- you get, and you have doctors and ladies for you who are watching this, you're, you're going to know exactly what I mean. When a doctor says it's probably just hormones, mm-hmm. which is the dumbest statement in the history of medicine. When your male, when you're, research model is 154 pound male and you're going to you're going to be flippant to your yeah. female patient and go oh it's probably hormones let's do a hormonal panel really that's not science you're just an idiot yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need to we need to get a clip of that right there and then just let <laughs> Let that go viral and let every woman everywhere just flip that on her phone and play it for her doctor. That's well, beautiful. you know what's funny is, well, it's not really funny. I, I was interviewing a female health expert and she wrote a book and it was based on females not asking the right questions when they go see their doctor. Yeah. And, and not to be, not, not to hold in start asking questions because you're going to find out if that doctor knows anything or not. And, and, you know, there's a reason why you go to a general practitioner, but there's a reason why you go to a specialist. And, and like you said, do your homework. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the topic, the hottest, most cancel culture topic in today's sports in female sports. How does allowing, transgender athletes to compete in women's sports demean women as a whole oh gosh okay so this is such a and we're wrapping up here but this is such a this is such a tough topic and so again i'm going to repeat myself because this is what i say to my college students i say you know I, I am not in the business and nobody should be in the business of telling somebody how to live their own life. And if, if I have a transgender female athlete, I will say to her and I, and, and I have, you know, look, I wish you the best of love, luck in life. And if you want to be anything, go for it. But when we're talking about that tiny arena of women's sports, be, become a coach, become a trainer, but to be a, become a competitive athlete when we know so very little about this, the biological female form, we have not done our due diligence. We've, we've neglected her medically just until we know more about her. It's really not fair to enter this space, particularly when we know that the, the last several studies that have come out, even after two years of testosterone suppression, 
they, they, the measure of the male testosterone level is still higher than the highest, most elite female athlete who has a higher than average testosterone level. And so, and then the other things that simply do not change after testosterone suppression is the, the body. I mean, women carry more fat. We have a lower center of gravity. Our hips are wider. We can't jump as high. We, you know, there's just, the list goes on and on. It's in the book. And so I would simply say respectfully until, and if, if you want to transition to become a woman, that is your thing. You know, no one should stop you if that's what you want. But until we know more about the biological female form, let's not muddy the water. Let's get her all the medical information that she needs and deserves. And then let's have this conversation later. Yeah, and you're right. It is muddying the waters based on research that is still not up to par no. on a biological female. So no. ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank you, Alex, for coming on to the program and being open about all of the content of your book. Um, you're very impressive. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I loved your questions. So the more we can talk about this, the better for everybody. Uh, amen yeah. to that. And, and I want to say every parent with a daughter or granddaughter, as well as every female born athlete, you need to read Alex Allred's book, When Women Stood, The Untold History of Females Who Changed Sports and the world. And this is the Bible for girls and women in sport. You're going to go, yes. you're going to learn so much more than you'll ever imagine. And there's the book right there. We're going to pop it up on screen. And I know that you can get it at uh, amazon.com and all of the high end bookstores around Buy this book and read it. Parents buy this book and read it. You're going to understand more to help your daughter or your granddaughter. And for those of you who are athletes in your 30s and 40s, maybe even 50s, there's so much information to learn from. Again, Alex, thank you so much for being on the program. And as for me, ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you next time. Thank you.